Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. It is 33 degrees and clear outside at 509 here in Northeast Pennsylvania. Well, it's that time in a new year again. Happy to bring on, uh, it's time for Do I Have a Case with attorney Keith Figured of Figured Law. Keith, thanks for joining the Rob O'Donnell Show. Uh, my pleasure, Rob. I'm glad to be here. The first show of the year, and of course, I want to wish you and everybody at the station, all the listeners, a happy and healthy new year. Same, same. And we're going to continue. Do I have a case now? And if anyone has questions now or in the future, you can just email robert.odonnell at odyssey.com and get your questions in. And we have a group of three questions today, Keith. You ready to go on them? I'm ready. All right. We have this... Uh, I have been stopped during a DUI checkpoint. I was not drinking, but due to having diabetes that affects both cognitive and physical abilities, I do not feel comfortable doing a roadside sobriety test. I realize that refusing may result in my license being taken. What are my options? If they arrest me for refusal and my blood work shows I was not drinking, do I have a false arrest claim? All right, so there's a couple things that are important here to um, knock one of the portions of that question out right at the beginning. Um, no, there would be no false arrest. Um, however, field sobriety tests are voluntary and completion of the tests are not required under law. However, in most instances, if a driver refuses a field sobriety test, they will most likely be required uh, to undertake a chemical test or to determine um, whether their blood alcohol level exceeds the, the limit. Now, in Pennsylvania, under implied consent laws, someone who drives in the state automatically consents to chemical tests upon being arrested for drunk driving. What that means is, um, is that by driving, you consent, and if you refuse to take that test, uh, specifically Pennsylvania, they have laws that if you refuse to take the blood or um, uh, breathalyzer, that they can actually suspend your license for a year, even if you're determined ultimately not to have been drinking. Um, the other thing is, is that some states also have enacted what's called a no refusal policy. Um, what that does is that allows law enforcement to immediately contact an uncalled judge and obtain a warrant to conduct a blood or alcohol test. Once they have that warrant, if the individual refuses, they can uh, possibly face serious punishment such as contempt or obstruction of justice charges. Now, uh, speaking specifically to the diabetes, and this is important, um, and I think for a lot of people, a lot of listeners to understand is, there are certain conditions, whether it be hypoglycemia um, under diabetes, if the blood sugar level is too low, um, where an officer can mistake signs of inebriation. Now, on the other side of that, there's hyperglycemia, where if the um, blood level is too high. Um, in those instances with diabetes, uh, sometimes it might uh, cause the development of ketones in their breath. So they're, not only might they have a, an issue doing the uh, sobriety uh, test, uh, the field check, um, but with regard to the, um, the breathalyzer, if you have a high level of ketones, that can also give a false positive on a, on a breath test. Um, 
other conditions that can cause problems are traumatic brain injuries, degenerative and neurological disorders, epilepsy, digestive disorders, and some medications, specifically asthma inhalers, can dispense large amounts of alcohol in the lungs, cold and cough medications that contain alcohol. So there are a number of instances in which you can have a false positive. Um, the best thing would be is to request that you have a, a blood test. I think that's the safest test to determine whether or not you are um, at or over the limit. And, and then of course, if uh, you are arrested and believe that you were improperly charged, you wanna speak with an attorney as soon as possible. All right, a lot, lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> Try to get it out as quick as I could. <laughs> no, no, no doubt at all. Uh, the, de the details are good when it comes to something like this. And like, I, yeah, we, this was just for diabetes, but I'm sure there's people who have, you know, neck and back injuries where their balance may not be the same. I mean, this, this can go for a lot of things, not just something like that. Absolutely. Uh, the next question is, uh, my widowed dad was, uh, had paid for a will naming me as executor. When he passed, I needed a lawyer to file court paperwork recognizing me as the executor at an additional cost. If the will is a legal document noting my authority, why the need to duplicate that? And is a will needed rather than a simple notarized letter stating I'm the executor? Okay, so um, of course, when you're dealing with wills and different things, it is complex and you should speak with an attorney. Um, but generally speaking, the rules for writing a valid will in Pennsylvania are very simple. You have to be 18 years old and of sound mind. It has to be created on paper, either handwritten or typed, and it only needs to be signed. There actually is no legal requirement for a will to be witnessed when signed to be considered valid. However, the problem arises when you need to probate that will because even though you might not have a witness to that will in order to prove the validity of that will at probate you may need to present witnesses um, at that time and that's what sounds like what may have occurred here now under pennsylvania law it does allow for the creation of what's called a self-proving will a self-proving will requires that you sign your will in the presence of two witnesses known as subscribing witnesses. Then you as the testator, the will creator, and they as the witnesses sign affidavits stating who you are and that you, that you signed your will in the presence of the witnesses. The process requires a notary who then notarizes your signature. Um, when you have a self-proving will, that is readily admitted to probate as a valid uh, as a valid will in Pennsylvania. Um, so if you proceed with a self-proving will, that is the best way to, I believe, avoid having to incur additional legal expenses and possibly have to have additional steps to prove the validity of the will, especially if it is challenged. And then of course, the duties of an executor are pretty um, extensive. Um, I would most definitely, if you're not familiar um, with the duties of an executor, because if you fail to act uh, in accordance with the best interests of the state, you can be held responsible. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are involved as an executor, such as maintaining the property, continuing to pay, opening accounts, um, uh, doing an inventory. There's certain uh, items that might need an appraisal. So it is pretty complicated. And you if it is overwhelming, you would want to speak to an attorney, accountant, tax advisor, and you or or your or your parents' uh, financial advisors. Unfortunately, something we'll probably all have to deal with sooner or later. So great advice there. Um, next question: My neighbor's tree 
with a base clearly on their property falls over with its top half on my property. No damage, but they refuse to remove it as it's down by our woods. Uh, is it my responsibility to remove what's on my property? What recourse do I have? All right. So there's a couple of nuances as it pertains to this issue. And specifically now in Pennsylvania, a lot of people need to understand their rights and liabilities concerning hazard trees and property line laws, especially with the rapid infestation of the spotted lantern fly and the ash borer, which are killing a lot of the trees in Pennsylvania. Um, so to separate it into a couple uh, different instances, because this one, although it describes the tree, it's unclear whether or not whether it was known or should have been known to be a hazard, and that makes a difference. So if your neighbor's tree along your property line is a hazard, meaning um, you see the tree leaning, it's dead, you know it can fall, in that circumstance, um, if the tree is a hazard and is along your property line, but is considered to be the neighbor's tree, you need to notify them immediately and request they remove it. If they refuse to do so, you can hire an arborist or to remove the portion of the tree that overhangs your property. You can then require your neighbor to reimburse you for the cost. Now, if that tree were to fall or cause damage, um, in fact, I mean, there's been cases where uh, people have been killed by falling trees and that neighbor can be held responsible if it is known or should have known that that tr tree was a hazard. Now, if the tree is not, uh, if the trees along your property line is not known to be a hazard, say a healthy tree, maybe like a, a very strong storm came through and blew it over, in that instance, there is no responsibility of the uh, neighbor. In fact, if the tree falls onto your property, you actually get, have to give him the opportunity to come over and claim their wood. Now, another circumstance is can you cut overhanging branches from your neighbor's tree? Um, the owner of a tree can cut it down or trim its branches without the permission of their neighbor at any time, but they but they are also solely responsible for any damage that the tree causes to their neighbor's property. I think it was in the 90s that the Commonwealth Court ruled that overhanging branches and roots are considered a trespass and neighbors whose property is being trespassed upon can remove the overhanging branches or roots. They can then sue the owner of the tree for the cost of removing the the branches or roots. And then the last one is if the dead or dying tree is directly on the property line, in those circumstances, you jointly own the tree with your neighbor and you are empowered to both share the cost of the tree's removal. Again, with the storm coming this weekend, it may be applicable to some people out in our area as well. Uh, great advice for those three questions. Again, you can contact me, email me at Robert, R-O-B-E-R-T dot O'Donnell, O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L at odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. For your questions out there for Keith Figured and Figured Law. Keith, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, if they want to consult with you or... or speak with you on situations they might be having how can they do this so they can reach me directly at 570-954-9299 they can also send me email at keith at figuredlaw.com and i can also be contacted through my website at figuredlaw.com great advice uh, again happy new year keith uh Hopefully not too much snow for our area this weekend <laughs> and uh, i'll talk to you again next week with some new questions same to you, my friend. Take care. Good. Take care, Keith.